Okay. So, Marianne, welcome back. Thank you guys for having me back. Well, we haven't really started yet. (laughs) (laughs) This is Bourbon Pursuit, the official podcast of bourbon, bringing to you the best in news, reviews, and interviews with people making the bourbon whiskey industry happen. And I'm one of your hosts, Kenny Coleman. After an impactful career at Brown Foreman, Marion Eves was ready for a new challenge, which led her to join an exciting startup over at Castle & Key. However, she departed ways with Castle & Key and focused on brand consulting. But now, her current focus is on her new release of Forbidden. And I invited Marion to come on the show to talk about her new projects. And if you may recall from a previous This Week in Bourbon episode, Ryan and I, we were confused about Forbidden because... The press release left a lot of unanswered questions for us. So she takes the hot seat here and provides some context and clarity around the name and even the price. We also talk about some malting and other distillation stuff because, well, Fred, he's just enamored with it. Well, enjoy this week's episode. And now here's Fred Minnick with Above the Char. I'm Fred Minnick, and this is Above the Char. This week's idea comes from Brandon Hargrove, who writes me on fredminnick.com. Yes, vodka sucks. However, I am a Texas, Texas Tech, uh, over the pokes, which I'm an Oklahoma State fan, so he just took a little rub there in me. And on a warm day of golf, I like to drink a transfusion. What bourbon cocktail should I order instead? Refreshing with limited ingredients commonly found on a beverage cart. Well, Brandon, I got you covered here, and this is a cocktail that's so simple. There are two ingredients, and it is perfect on a summer day. It has been one of the most common cocktails since the dawn of bourbon. Well, really since the dawn of ginger ale, whenever that was invented. But bourbon and ginger ale over ice. It is absolutely delicious. You got the nice uh, crispness of the ginger ale. You got the kick of the bourbon. And, of course, you got that nice cold uh, nature of the ice. I also, you know, would tell you if you're going to be out on the golf course, maybe advance your drinking. You know, when when I go out with my buddies, and I don't really golf, but I will bring a thermos of a punch or I will, you know, make something in advance. I mean, but I'm also – Brandon, you got to understand, when I'm going out and doing something, I am thinking about like, all right, what are we going to drink on this on this voyage? What are we going to taste? What's going to... I'm, I'm thinking three and four days out ahead, and I'm sweating, like, what's the recipe going to be? Uh, how am I going to keep it cool? So I think if you really want to up your uh, your your game on the on the golf course... You got to plan ahead, man. Don't be don't be just flat out ordering from the cart. But I know you Texas Tech fans, you all like to take the easy road. So I'm uh, I'm kidding there, of course. That's gonna do it for this week's above the char. Hey, if you'd like to be like Brandon, hit me up on fredminnick.com. That's fredminnick.com. Click the contact button and send me your question. If I like it, I'll read it on the air. Until next week, cheers. Ed Bly and Rising Tide Spirits are back again with a new release of Old Stubborn Bourbon. And this release of Old Stubborn is a premium hand marriage of 10, 11, and 12-year cask drink, barely filtered pot still bourbon. It comes in at a staggering 123.8 proof. And the flavoring grain for this one, which the last one was weeded, but this time it's now rye. 
Rich, sweet, and bold with a long finish that's sure to be another eye-opener. You can order online at Sealbox or TheBourbonConcierge.com, and you can even purchase in person at Revival Vintage Spirits, and even now with very few select stores in Kentucky. You can get it now while you can, but be sure to do it because it's not going to last long. And they're off for another Get 270 2020 Unicorn Raffle. Your $20 ticket gives you not one, but two chances to win from our lineup of 20 Woodford Reserve treasures, including the grand prize, the rarest unicorn yet, the Woodford Reserve Kentucky Derby 150 Baccarat Edition. Only 150 bottles were made and is just like the one the Derby winning owner receives. Quit horsing around and get your $20 tickets now at Give270.org. Charitable gaming license ORG 0002703. From their bar to yours, Chad and Sarah of the popular YouTube channel It's Bourbon Night bring you their favorite at-home old-fashioned mix with the new Elemental Elixir's Golden Hour Syrup. It's a custom-made syrup with notes of bold black tea, warm spices, and orange zest. All you need is your favorite whiskey and ice. No bitters needed. One bottle makes 16 drinks, so that's only $1 cocktail before you add your own whiskey. They can also be enjoyed in other cocktails or spirits, mocktails, coffee, tea, and anything you can think of. It's crafted locally in Lexington, Kentucky, and you can get your bottle now at whiskeyambitions.com. Welcome back, everybody, with another episode of Bourbon Pursuit, the official podcast of bourbon. This is going to be an exciting show because we have somebody that hasn't been on since a, twice. This will be a three-peat guest, so... If we can it, roll back, there's only like one or two of those, right? Uh, it's a, it's a very small club. Yeah, she got she's got to get her patch that she's going to sew on her her jack on the way out. That's that's what it comes down to. So the first time she was on was episode 18, right? She was in the top 20 of that. I remember that we were in your. We didn't even have a. Well, we've never had a studio, but <laughs> we like used your old company, your company's office space. It was. It yeah, was my old is that when you were space. editing in GarageBand? Oh, easily. Yeah. This oh, is, this is when that Ryan was, used when to I was editing, and they were terrible. Sorry, uh, that it, we're getting better. This one will be much better. <laughs> but I think we were like so nervous that we couldn't host our one of our houses because we we're like we can't have. So we used, this is this is embarrassing. Yeah. So, so let's so, take her to an I office know. environment. Exactly. That's, Which I don't know. Maybe it's even not any better than it is today. But that's true. It's <laughs> <laughs> was that mustache Kenny? Oh, uh, maybe. I don't that, remember. God, I did not like mustache Kenny. That was. <laughs> I couldn't, I didn't have the heart to tell him, but it was like, you got to get rid of that thing. Every time I saw him, I, that's what I thought in my head. You know what? You say that, but once you have a mustache that curls around and has everything going on, you get more compliments by men than you've ever gotten in your life. Not for me. Well, that's I, interesting. I, I, I it think it's, it could be also pity. You know, <laughs> you say that, but yeah. then have you seen, you know, we do have here in Louisville, it's called the Derby City Whiskers Club. So there's there's a thing where people okay. gather just for this thing. You all have a like a wax sponsor. <laughs> no, we don't, but we have a secret some, handshake. Someone comes up and you know touches the curls. <laughs> Let's get right. back on this topic is, here. This is, yeah, this is, get, get us back on. And put the, up the guardrails, Kenny. And then the second time she was on was episode 205, and that's when we saw what Marianne was going to be doing next. So it's interesting to always see the the shape that she's been able to build in this industry and the past she's been able to carve and the decisions she's made to be able to create all these new fans and everything that's been happening in the industry. So I'm very excited. 
Welcome back on the show, Marion Eves. She's the master distiller behind Forbidden, one of the owners behind Eves Blind. She's also an industry consultant, plus a whole other different slew of things she's been up to. So, Marion, welcome back to the show. Thank you guys for having me back. Yeah, it's a pleasure How to do be you here. Keep track of all this stuff. It's got to be a counting nightmare. <laughs> uh, it is, in fact, an account. I'm looking for an accountant. Anybody want to apply? <laughs> I've got a good one for you. Thank oh, you, Fred. But they're not in Lexington. That's okay. You all right? Do that virtual. Yes. Right. Yeah. You My have current like... account is in Florida, which is not ideal. Oh, yeah. Because they don't have taxes there. Exactly. I mean, income tax. What do they know? Yeah. They got a lot of stuff going on. Unlike in Kentucky, where, by God, they'll tax the furniture in your house. <laughs> the yeah. land. A lot of taxes. taxes. Yeah. Yeah. So, the premise of this show was, I believe one of your, I don't know how many PR people you have, but I know you have at least one really good one. And she was on me for a very long time. She was like, I need Marianne on the show. Come get Marianne on the show. And I have to say, I have to applaud you for being able to kind of look at what we've done. Because as as Ryan and I, and to a degree, a lesser formal extent, the Bourbon Community Roundtable, we're, we're always hypercritical of everything that comes out in the Bourbon media. We look at it and we dice it up and we're kind of like, we can read through stuff and we're like, wait a minute, blah, 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 blah. And there was a lot of stuff that came out in your recent release of Forbidden. And we were, we were critical of it, to be fair. We really were. I remember I replied back and I said, I don't know if you listen to the show. This is to a PR person. I said, I don't know if you listen to the show, but listen, this is kind of where we, we think. I think there's some gaps to fill in and so on and so forth. And I understand, like, like Marion doesn't need us. Like, she has a huge fan base. She's got all these people that pay attention. She's on the Today Show. Like, she yeah. doesn't need to pander. To two dumbass podcasters. Yeah, <laughs> to, to an audience of people that just, like, care almost way too much. And Marianne, she had the wherewithal to stand up and say, no, I want to come on. I want to make sure that we clear the air, talk about some of this stuff. So I just want to say, first off, thank you so much for just... You know, you have the the confidence to be able to come in and be able to to do that. And I'm not going to say that, you know, we want to tear apart a lot of stuff, but we do want to have a conversation about a lot of the stuff, too. Yeah, I'm excited for this conversation. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And just like Kenny said, I, you know, when you responded back, I was like, oh, God, she's going to hate us. She's going to hate us. Like, <laughs> and then I ran to a part-time bourbon company. I was like, she's going to hate me. And you couldn't have been more nicer. And I, I have grown just, just for the fact of you showing up and talking to us, I have so much more respect for you as an, in an individual. Okay. And then I should have known that, you know, and we weren't being critical. It's just like, there, there were just questions. Cause we, like Kenny said, we're, we pay we're in the weeds. We pay attention to too, too much. So that's, we just had questions, I guess. Yeah. Hopefully it didn't come off as critical assholes, which we probably, we did. probably do. It's, that's probably the, that's the life we've chosen for ourselves. <laughs> that's right. But before we dive into that, I, I kind of want to roll back a little bit because people have, probably heard of you before, but I want to give you an opportunity to give people the background of sort of like where you came from, if they don't want to go back and listen to episode 18, because let's be honest, uh, our interview skills have gotten a lot better. Our equipment's gotten a lot better. Uh, mate, that's, that's Who knows what that's, we all said? Yeah. Who knows what we said back then? So that was back in 2015. So I guess give us a recap of the past few years, sort of what you've been up to and sort of how you've been uh, doing a lot of things, you know, like what's it like hanging out with the Mannings every once in a while, like that sort of thing. I mean, it's not a bad life. No, I wouldn't think sure. so. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've had some ups and downs and lots of really exciting opportunities. And I think the coolest thing that's happened since I moved on from Castle and Key is having the opportunity to be particular about the brands that I work with and the stories that I tell and the people who 
I partner with because, you know, their individual brands are are important. And my brand as a bourbon professional that I, you know, I, I want people to respect me. And, you know, that's why I'm not going to get on, t- on, on a team with a person who, you know, is fabricating or, you know, not being as honest and, and transparent as possible. And the Mannings aren't too bad. <laughs> I guess it helps. Yeah. They seem nice. They seem funny, too. Are they funny as nice. funny in person as they are in like TV? I, I don't fangirl very much, but I'll tell you an interesting thing. When I met Peyton Manning, we we our first event for Sweetens Cove post COVID, we went to this steakhouse in Denver. It was kind of like in their private room. There were a couple hundred people there. Um, I was pregnant with my second daughter. I was exhausted. I had gotten up at 2.30 that morning to get to this event. And Peyton was on the other side of the room doing his like Disney princess thing where people line up and just want to do photos. And so we, we didn't interact much in that period of time. Um, but after the event, he was sitting down with his lovely wife and who I'd met. And um, I was walking by the table. I was being walked out so that I could get to the my back to my hotel room because I was exhausted pregnant lady. And he looks at me and he's like, great job, Marianne. Were you staying for dinner? Like he was inviting me to join his group for dinner. And I just shook my head and went, no, uh, uh-uh. <laughs> can't handle it. <laughs> like it wasn't like a like a, the poised, charismatic like woman that I had been in the event. I was just like, uh, uh, uh. It's a power move as well. well like, I, I turned down no. Mannings for dinner. <laughs> I, I was mean, just like, this is not real. No sleep though. That's you got to sleep though. But you know, you know, Marianne and I, uh, we do go way back. In fact, I'd say over over a decade now. And I'll never forget walking into uh, Brown Foreman. You know, they had this uh, their PR person at the time was saying like, "Hey, we want to we want to bring you in, uh, have you meet meet someone." And Brown Foreman was uh, was pumping Marianne up as like like this is our next master distiller. Like that's what they told me. It's not something that they said. This is who we are grooming to replace Chris. You would still be waiting too. <laughs> yeah, just now, right? Yeah. That's, well, and, maybe. <laughs> and I get there and, um, you know, the, the gentleman has since retired, but he's one of the classic old school PR people. And like he was, he was about information and people learning and everything. PR people have changed in a big way since, uh, since Rick retired. But I get in there and I'm, interviewing Marianne, talking to her, and I'm hearing her talk about whiskey in a way that I had never heard any of the current master distillers talk about it. And she was talking about it at a at a chemical level from, from the grains to uh, the fermentation technique to the distilling. And I just was, I was blown away after that first meeting. And then I would say- It's your love language, that's why. Yeah, it's right. Yeah. I mean, I- I love learning about that, and I truly learn every time Marianne talks about how to make whiskey, the processes, and everything. She speaks about it in a way that I I don't think anyone else does. But what really blew me away was when you when you turned a Keurig, when you changed the how the water how the water got to a Keurig machine at, at Brown Fork. <laughs> When that I, was it. Well, I was like, I was like, I was like really intrigued. But I was like, um, I was like thinking to myself, oh my god, I bet she can make a still out of the Keurig, you know? <laughs> you, I don't you even know. I could. So she, she like uh, in the Brown Foreman break room, she basically, you know, altered a pipe. You know how you have to fill up uh, a Keurig, right? You have to fill it up. Yep. She altered it where you could just turn on the tap and it would 
plug right into it or something. Oh. Like, I don't remember what you did exactly, but I was just like, I was like, that is some brilliant. That's some uh, that's some whiskey ingenuity right there. But I've just you know when she when she left Brown Foreman and she uh, she went to what is now Castle and Key. Back then we called it the Old Taylor Distillery. They got sued over that. She took the title of Master Distiller. She was looking at taking the title Master Distiller. And I was, at this time, my book, Whiskey Women, had been out for well, a little over a year. And so when when something happened like this, like there was a lot of people coming to me asking me like, hey, is she the first? Is she the first woman to be the Master Distiller in Kentucky? And I researched and I had, I had chronicled about every woman in history to that point that had a significant role in Kentucky bourbon, as well as other types. And no one had taken the job, uh, taken the title. While they may have done the job, they may have been owners even, they never took the title master distiller. It was always men. And there were women who were up for it. Uh, One woman uh, at what is now the Buffalo Trace Distillery was up for it, and she was the most qualified. But they wouldn't hire her because when she walked up to look at fermenters, they worried that the men would be looking underneath the stairs up at her dress. I interviewed her in my book, and she said it was their loss. You know, she went on to be like a, a chemist somewhere else, but that was the state of the world. And even someone like Pamela Heilman, you know, she was she was working at the Booker's Distillery, but didn't have the title. Beam did not give her the title. They didn't even, I didn't get a chance to even interview her. So women in 2000. 13 they were on 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 the rise in these in these spots but the marketing people still were not promoting women or giving women the title master distiller and so what i what i always say is that Marianne was the first to take the title as a woman in Kentucky as master distiller and i think it is one of the most one of the biggest moments in american whiskey history because it you know, you got a lot of criticism for when you took that title. You got a lot of criticism, some from your former employees, some from people just out there. But you did it, and and you've owned it ever since. And to me, that that was one of the most. It's not fair to say it's brave, but it, it's akin to being the first of anything. But you you went out on a limb and and you did that, and you never shied away from it. And so when I say we go way back, I mean like I. I kind of like I was with with Peggy Peggy No Stevens. I fact checked Marianne when she took that title, and she is indeed the first woman to be a master distiller in Kentucky. I remember the day that the news broke that I was officially Kentucky's first female master distiller. Do you remember when that was, Fred? I was. I don't remember the <laughs> exact <laughs> day. I mean, every year. <laughs> the exact day was when you uh, shared it with the Master Distillers panel at the Bourbon Classic in 2015. Oh wow! Was it really? <laughs> yes, because I had not told or shared it with anybody. So you were the first to like, the to NBA. shout it from yeah. the mountaintops. <laughs> well, what it did for me, I mean. Fred and I had talked about it lots of times. There was some, there was another force out there in the industry that was adding a little clou- cloudiness to the situation. Oh, I forgot about her. Mm-hmm. Oh, I don't remember. I that. forgot about her. Do, do we want to drop name drop or I don't even remember her name. Yeah, it's probably better because I remember you you made a comment after sharing what you had discovered about her with your wife <laughs> that that your wife had insisted that you not say anything about it because she was scared. 
of yeah. like this unhinged person. Oh yikes! <clears throat> yeah, never mind. Well, let's not name drop. Yeah, <laughs> dust that monster under a rug. <laughs> yeah. So you know, a friend and I, we were having a conversation, and he's like, "Yeah, it's kind of close. You know, there's there's just you, and there's this other woman." And I was like, "Well, this is what I know about her, and do you believe her?" And so he did some more checking and, and found some of the things out that discredited what she was saying but um the day that fred shared that with that master distillers panel you know people definitely came out of the woodworks good and bad and i uh had had this experience one one other time i'm like it's it's my opportunity now to take ownership of the ability that i have what i contribute to the industry and the role that i'm taking it's going to do me no service and it's certainly not going to do any other women now past present future if i if i don't yeah, well, that's where I was. Thanks, Fred. Uh, well, that, <laughs> that 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 timing was I I don't remember much because you know Oscar was not a good sleeper, and so two three hours of sleep a night. But by God, I had no gray hair. That was a, those are some good times. Those back different days. Then. No gray hair back then. But you know, one of the things too that you you get the title, you're doing the work. And you went you went from the Yankees, right? You you so if Brown Foreman is the Yankees, that place had to be like the Birmingham mud <laughs> mud dockers or something. <laughs> you know, why in the world did you leave the one of the most coveted positions in all of whiskey to to a startup? I mean, I know you've talked about it before, but I've I still like I look at that distillery and knowing what had to be done. I mean, I kind of. You got to be insane in some ways, but an entrepreneur spirit always is a little bit of insanity, though. I got told called, told and called crazy a lot of times from a lot of people, even people that I loved a whole lot. My dad, when I first told him that I had been offered the chance to train under Chris Morris to be the next Woodford Reserve Master Distiller, he started crying. Well, first, because I invited him out and didn't tell him why. And he was like, I really thought you were going to tell me you were pregnant. <laughs> uh, and then he found out I was maybe going to be. You know, this the is next... much better. Yeah, yeah, much better. Maybe it was relief or pride. I think maybe a little bit of both. Um, so when I told him I was leaving Brown Foreman, that would have been six years. No. Yeah. Six years after being with Brown Foreman, he, he really was like, you got to think about this, Marianne. And I thought about it. And what I came to the conclusion of is that at Brown Foreman, someone else had had the reins of my career. There was somebody watching me kind of opening doors for me, which I think my work ethic and and other aspects of what are in my skill set. I'm a voracious learner. I am not scared to be in spaces where women have not traditionally been. I did auto shop in high school. I, I was told by my AAA driving instructor that I should be a tow truck driver, which I almost pursued. <laughs> I mean, and then yeah, the MMA. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So now, I want to. They were talking a little bit, but MMA, jujitsu in the house, right here. Look up over there. Yep. <laughs> yeah, I was. I was training actually th- through that connection. Joe Cannon. Do you know Joe Cannon? Yeah. Yeah. She is maybe still an accountant at Brown Foreman. She's the one that gave me the internship coordinator's email address. And that's one of the ways that I got my name in to start that internship. Holy so Derby cow. City is actually a big part of my bourbon career. Yeah. So you were so you go to you go to Castle and Key. And the other thing that's kind of blowing up at this time frame is the influencer crowd. And this is the part of your rise and what you do that I think that there's a disconnect from who you are 
you know, to the public. And because it's hard to, it's hard to fully show the dork that you are, you know, because you are, you are a dork. You're a science <laughs> dork. I and fully I, embrace that title. And we've had this conversation before, but you can't really reveal that all in a big, in a, in a big way on Instagram. Instagram is more like, here I am with some bottles, here I am with this. And people make assumptions about who we are based on Instagram posts, but you are not Instagram. You're not. How has that influenced who you are? Because you've become such a presence on social media. I'd I'd say she's definitely Instagram. I mean, you're all over the socials nowadays. Instagram is my preferred platform for sure. I have not gotten into reels though. So I think I'm kind of failing at Instagram right now. Yeah, you got to do the reels. Got to do the reels. Yeah. It's a pain in the ass. (laughs) Um, They require it, the Instagrams. They do. Yeah. So I was on Facebook all the way through joining Castle and Key, really. It wasn't until I got to Castle and Key that I started getting more engaged with Instagram. And really at the beginning there, I don't know if anybody will do this, but if you scroll all the way back to the beginning of my Instagram, uh, eight out of the first 10 photos are cats. It's perfect. <laughs> yeah. Are they distillery cats? No, they're no, just my personal go. cats. So I think like if folks go back and look at early Facebook videos that I put up, like it was literally me, like I strapped my cell phone to the shelf in the laboratory at Castle and Key and I was showing people how I was doing all this experimentation. I had my little lab stills. You you could just sit there and watch me distill gin and make the first recipes of what I was producing there at, at Castle and Key. I was telling you about the grain. I took people out to the spring and was talking about the water source. We went to the top of the, the grain house and I talked about grain and the the uh, vortex uh, handler that we brought the grain in from the trucks with. And I was so like just excited to be there and, and all of this engineering stuff was so, so dead exactly in what I loved to do, which was another reason why I moved on from Brown Foreman is because they were at a transition, forcing me into a transition to be solely master taster. So I was working as process research and development engineer and master taster. So I was working a lot, two full-time jobs. And um, every single day, my boss would ask me, what do you want to do, this or that? And I would say both. <laughs> it's hard to choose both. It's hard to choose both. And then I um, moved to Castle and Key, where I got to be involved in literally everything, wore every hat. There wasn't a corporate um, engineering department or a PR group. And that was one of the things that was most excited to me. So you got free reigns. Yeah. yeah. I I was making the decisions mostly and then any of the big bigger business decisions I, I was part owner and, and had a seat at the table initially. Yeah. So I have a question about, you know, when you you know, getting the title and all that and in doing that you said the good and bad. You know, there's good and bad. You know, good would say yes, this shows progress. Bad would say, Oh, this is marketing or this or that. And I hope this comes off right because, you know, we're two white guys in the industry and you know and sometimes what people will say oh they're just kind of make using this as a marketing play give people an insight i guess of what are what are the challenges as being and to i guess we'll talk about your foundation too like with women in the industry and minorities like give people like insight to what that it really is like for for you and that it's not just like a you know a, an angle to promote yourself I I definitely cannot speak for all women and all minorities. I only have my one perspective. Um, I like I said, I, I've I've come up in a way, and I was raised in a way by my father that I was capable and and, and could do anything. 
Like put me in any situation and and I can do it. I, I got a letter from Duke University when I was 14 asking me to, to go ahead and come to college. My pre-ACT scores were good enough that they were like, you don't need to finish this. And I, I was just, you know, nervous, shy, like kid. I was like, I don't want to do that. That sounds scary. Um, but my dad would would constantly share those things about me and embarrass me. Um, and, and the only reason I say that is because being um, a woman and a young woman, people always, and I think they do this with, with other folks too. Like you guys are white dudes. I'm judging you. Right. Um, we, we are what we are. And we only know uh, how to interact with people on the experiences that we've had. And most men have never had an experience with a female distiller. So when they meet me, they're like, oh, you must be the marketing person or you're the PR person or you're here to do somebody's makeup. I'm like, no, uh, I make the stuff. Um, let's have a conversation about it. And and so just having the the patience with folks to provide that new experience. I have had lots of different experiences, but a couple of ones that have been kind of like stand out for me. There was a gentleman, his name was Bob Robinson. He was the old um, production manager there at the old Taylor Distillery, and he would swing by occasionally. And he had very strong feelings on how to run that facility because he literally wrote all of the SOPs, all the standard operating procedures, and and uh, maintained all the equipments. And he, you know, built the teams. And his unfortunate claim to fame was that when the distillery shut down, he was the guy that that shut it down for the last time. But, you know, he was he was there like walking through the facility with me as I was reconstructing things. And there was a day we had spent multiple hours together. I was just chatting with him about my plans for the product development and how we would distill and how I was doing things different with the still. And and he said, who taught you how to do that? I was like, I figured it out <laughs> because nobody had ever done it that way before. And he he sat there and he looked at me and he said, you know what? I've really missed talking to somebody who knows what the hell I'm talking about. <laughs> that's good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, that's awesome. You, yeah. you mentioned your dad a couple times and he passed away in the last uh, couple of years. And I just want to say he came to a lot of my events and everything that you were ever at. And he was just such an amazing man. And so I, I, I we're all uh, fathers here and parents but the the admiration and love that he had for you and everything that you did, I will never, ever forget that. Like, just the way he talked about you. Thanks, Fred. I'm going to cry now. I know. I was like, as a, it's very as a heartfelt. As a, as a girl dad, it means a lot. But, I mean, to that point, like, you know, you, you've been, you know, criticized, and, but you seem, still seem to, like, just be confident through it all like where does that come from you know just like it's like maybe you don't feel confident (laughs) maybe you don't feel confident but you at least like at least portray it yeah you at least portray like this badass like uh you know i I I can shake it off like mentality i would say i would say that the criticism there's the criticism is in a is in a bubble sure right you know we're not well even though she's not getting globally criticized no absolutely no but still even though the smallest critics are the loudest in your head like like your day, you only pick out the bad stuff. You don't pick out the good stuff. And so it's still, you're still like dealing with it, I guess. But I'm just, this is more like a psychology thing I had thing to get me. off Twitter for this reason. Yeah. Was, you know that guy. You know the the big that Floyd Christmas, whoever, Lloyd Christmas, oh, whatever yeah, that tour. Yeah. He, he came to Castle and Key and I did a tour for this guy and he was so lovely. And I, well, I thought 
And then he turned out to just be like the hugest troll asshole every time we would post anything. I would post anything to Twitter. Like she's not a master distiller. She doesn't know, you know. So, yeah, I have had to choose whether to be affected by by those things or not. And I'm very confident in my knowledge of the bourbon industry and what I can do and my abilities. Um, But I also know that there's always more to learn. So I want to be open to hearing those perspectives and and having conversation. And one of the things that to kind of dovetail on what Ryan mentioned earlier is because you've really leaned into the first woman master distiller, woman everything kind of going first. And one of the things that I've I've noticed talking to some of the women in the industry, they are looking at it and saying like, I want to get past this a little bit. Like I just want to see seen, be seen as an equal or a peer and not just like, oh, because that's one of the things that we've learned is like as we go through this is like, let's not ask questions of like, what's it like to be a woman in whiskey? Because they don't want to answer that. They just want to be known for their knowledge and stuff like that. So how do you kind of take that as as some of the other people that would be kind of in your similar shoes too. If you're anything like me, then you can't get enough about bourbon. And that's why I'm a subscriber to Bourbon Plus magazine. Bourbon Plus is a quarterly publication that tells the stories from the heart of bourbon, the farmers who grow the grain, the distillers who labor over the process, and the people like you and me who raise their glasses to celebrate it all. Subscribe to Bourbon Plus Magazine today at bourbonplus.com, that's P-L-U-S dot com, and use code PURSUIT at checkout for $5 off your subscription. Customers are rushing to your store. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it uh, a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. And with Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers in line and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. And you can get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone. Transform your tablet into a point-of-sale system or use Shopify's POS Go mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for $1 per month trial period at shopify.com bourbon, all lowercase, and go to shopify.com bourbon to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com bourbon. You've really leaned into the first woman master distiller, woman everything kind of going first. And one of the things that I've I've noticed talking to some of the women in the industry, they are looking at it and saying, like, I want to get past this a little bit. Like, I just want to see seen be seen as an equal or a peer and not just like, oh, because that's one of the things that we've learned is like as we go through this is like, let's not ask questions of like, what's it like to be a woman in whiskey? Because they don't want to answer that. They just want to be known for their knowledge and stuff like that. So how do you kind of take that as as some of the other people that would be kind of in your similar shoes too? Um, I think the first time that I, I tried to exert myself as trying to get away from the female-led conversations was with Fred. Yeah. 
And he, I think, was surprised that I turned down the opportunity to be on this female-focused panel. But I, I, I really wanted to be on the technical distiller panel. So put me up there with the the guys who are talking the science. And, uh, you know, I, I there is valuable conversation to be had with women, but that's not the conversations we were having when you had women in the name of the panel. But I've come back around. I think it's important, as I said, to not shy away from it. If it if it wasn't an interesting story, we wouldn't be talking about it. So that, I think that means that the conversation still needs to be had. Sure, that's understandable. Yeah, yeah we're that's we're fair. we're in much better place in a diversity perspective than we were, you know, ten years ago. But the thing about it is, you and everyone else, the consumer doesn't know who made that. You know, I'm I'm holding up a glass right now. And you're judged by your whiskey. That's that's it for me. That's that's it. Now I'm all about like advancing talent and bringing in people who may not have gotten looks before. I do that in my Ascot Awards. I've done that on all my panels, uh, whether it's uh, Bourbon and Beyond or something else. But at the end of the day, what it comes down to, and it's something that Marvin Shankin told me a long time ago, is the whiskey good? Because that's all people really do care about and the price point that, that's that, that part <laughs> yeah. plays a big part into it as well very true i want to shift the conversation just because we have because you are so qualified and talented i want to talk move on past the like social aspect things yeah. and like let's talk about some whiskey and your projects you got going on because as a blender i've always thought you were and i'm not i'm self-proclaimed master blender or whatever but i've always thought you've had a talent in that regard, like your your whiskeys and your blends you put together are some of the best out there. And like, I, I just want to spend like a day with you and like eat up every knowledge I can. So uh, tell us about what you got going on now. Let's see. As far as blending projects go, so I, I just um, put out the second batch for Dr. Disrespect, his Black Steel bourbon. You guys know that guy? I've yeah, heard of it. Gamer. Yeah, he's the gamer. Yeah, He's the gamer. Yeah. I was really excited about the second batch, um, the recipe that I created. He tried it, guy tried it, and approved it, put a stamp of approval Is on he it. playing video games when he tries it? <laughs> I don't know. I've, I've not met the guy. I've not even been on the phone It would with seem him. fitting, though. He's, like, super tall, too, right? Six, what kind eight. of gamer? Yeah, like, six, Minecraft or something? Live stream, all that no, sort he's of like, he's, oh. He got banned from Twitch. He's got a look. If, <laughs> and he, he has, his fans are insane. They are insane. They are insane. There, yeah, it's almost like he's a deity. <laughs> yeah, for real. He's no kidding. He's divine uh, in the the gaming world. Divine okay, in yes. the gaming in the gaming world. So I, I created this this recipe. He um, put his stamp of approval on it, and then the bottling facility overcut it. So I had to go back and pick new barrels to redo the blend the day of oh, bottling. Oh. Um, so this is why I make the big bucks in in the um, blending world. I say make the big bucks, situation? but <laughs> I, you, I never said that. that. I don't know why I said that. <laughs> <laughs> what, what, did, what happens if they overcut it? Do they like use that you have to add somewhere more, else? You have to add more bourbon. So to you're it. just adding more? Mm-hmm. Do they give you a discount on the barrels or anything like that? Well, what they did is is they said this is our mistake. So we're going to pull more barrels for you. And luckily at that facility it was product that we had purchased from there if it had been product that i bought somewhere else and brought over to that facility it, w- it would have been an issue we may have even had to like pre- reprint the labels 
Yeah. So what happened um, was they they pull. I I specified two lots of bourbon for them to pull. They pulled um, fourteen barrels for me. I whittled that down to ten. The original blend was only seventeen barrels, so we had to add ten more barrels to get it, get it back up to proof. Um, but the the final blend was maybe even better than the original blend. Because since they said it was their mistake, I was like, all right, give me this lot. But what do you got that's older? <laughs> Serendipitous. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. So that, that's that been actually really fun just because I like being a part of winners. Yeah. And it keeps selling out like super fast. So that that's that's exciting. The Forbidden Bourbon, you know, that's a project that's been going on for a long time. So the way that I get involved with Forbidden, I was working at Castle and Key. I think I had just taken the, that role. So it wasn't even public that I was their master distiller or what the name was. And this gentleman had read maybe the article that Fred wrote about the next generation of bourbon in the Whiskey Advocate. And that one, I'm the one of five. There's five other guys. Yeah. They were all family members of like big bourbon families, business degrees. Uh, I was the only female, the only one with a science degree, and I think the only one that was day-to-day running a distillery. And that was actually one of Fred's questions to me in the article. He was like, if everybody left for the day, could you keep the distillery going? And I said, yeah, <laughs> I can read an SOP. <laughs> so um, I uh, got a call from this guy named Daniel Rickenman. He's now the mayor of Columbia, South Carolina. And he's like, I've got this idea. I've got this interesting partner. Um, would you be interested in, in talking to us to do something different? I said, sure. Um, but, you know, I, I don't really make the decisions on on who we make stuff for. So you got to meet my partners. And there were some interesting, like, personal ties between him and the original founding partners of, of Castle and Key. So it just, it just felt good. And we started producing for them. So I started developing the recipe right away in 2016 because I knew I wanted to use white corn with castle and key. So I was trying all these heirloom varieties and, and it, it wasn't something that there was a much example of on the market. I think old Pogue. Old yeah. Pogue. Uh, MB Roland at that time. In 2016. Yeah. yeah, yeah. MB Roland would have been using white corn. Mm-hmm. So there, there were very few examples and, and not like broad market stuff. So I, I decided, and and I decided this in every aspect also. I'm like, this may be something that people have done before, but I want to try it again so that I can get my own answers as to how best to do it for this facility and the processes and the equipment that I've created. So it was really fun. Like, you know, they, they were thinking, like, we should do Silver Queen because it's got this beautiful name and it'll be a great marketing thing. And I tried it and it tasted like chopped up nickels, like so metallic. It was just, it, it was not good. And I was Candy like, doesn't like chopped up nickels. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> nor pennies, nor dimes, nor quarters. So. Yeah, but he likes oak. Silver Queen like sounds oak. like a steamboat or something. Yeah, it kind of does. <laughs> yeah. So originally, I mean, we were even thinking like, are they? Because I wasn't a part of the business in an official way at that point. But they were like, you know, maybe Forbidden is too harsh, too masculine. Um, maybe we should change the name to Silver Queen. Um, because we were looking at like a softer profile with the white corn and the white wheat. So, you know, I went through a couple do- dozen trials and came up with a great recipe and started producing. And that you, was you, in 2018. You, this was at Bardstown? You were... When you were you were at Castle and Key, no, it's at Castle and Key when were... I when I started producing for them initially. Okay. Mm-hmm. So the this first release is stuff that I made and developed while I was at Castle and Key. 
So um, I moved on from Castle and Key. But they still had these barrels. Yes, correct? they own the barrel. So it's just like any kind of contract uh, relationship. But they were just like, you are our master distiller. And when I left, um, it was like a year after that product had been produced. Daniel in particular was calling me and emailing me like once a month, maybe even more frequently being like, we really want you to be a part of this project. We like think that that your name should, should stay with this stuff. And I wasn't sure that I wanted anything to do with the stuff that was made at Castle and Key or a few reasons. I have a non-disparagement agreement, so I can't tell you everything. I can just say that. <laughs> I've never heard. I've heard of non-disclosure. Never heard of non-disparagement. Oh, yeah. It's the thing that it's exists. It's a different thing. Is it different? Yeah. I mean, I don't know. You, you can it talk means, about it off air. <laughs> I can talk about all the happy things. Okay. Non-disparagement is you can't talk about anything that makes them look bad. Yeah. Mm. Well, I don't want to dig down that. Yeah. yeah I'm not, not I'm not. Yeah. We can't yeah. legally. But anyway, so I, I wasn't sure that I wanted to join the team with Forbidden, but they were just so warm and wonderful and persistent that I decided that I would do it. And they brought me on as a, an owner and partner. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, I met I met uh, everybody. Uh, so we did the Today Show thing. I interviewed with the Today Show for forty five minutes, and they aired three or five seconds. Yeah, um, yeah. I think you only had three seconds, um, Fred. That's three seconds. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I was your, to... your clock has already started, so keep going. <laughs> anyway, I met them. They one thing I noticed about them is like they're all super skinny and like very well dressed, but they were all very nice guys. Yeah, Southern gentlemen. So I guess one of the things let's let's dive into the forbidden thing a little bit because I remember when the press release came out there was this is kind of like where the dots didn't all add up to me and I'm kind of like what's going on because it said like everything was made at Barstown Bourbon Company and then all of a sudden there was I think you came out with some other statements that said there's some stuff blended with Castle and Key so kind of talk about like where that I guess the communication just didn't line up there the lines got blurry yeah I I been hesitant to specifically mention Castle and Key. So I think that my PR lady is very hyper aware of that. So that's why she phrased it in the way that she did, which clearly was confusing because the initial five-year release, that is all product that was made at Castle and Key while I was there. And so I, I left Castle and Key a year after distilling that first 500-ish barrels and we were potentially thinking about going back to Castle and Key to make the next run, um, but they were having some issues with capacity. And basically, I told my partners, I was like, if it's awkward for me, I'm, I'm not going to want to keep making stuff there. And it just turned out that they really couldn't do it. Maybe they didn't want to do it and they were just coming up with excuses. Um, so we moved production to Barstown Bourbon. They're exceptional partners. Um, the facility is exceptional. The people are exceptional. Um, and we decided to take all the barrels that were resting at Castle and Key and move them to Bardstown. So they're only aged for a year at Castle and Key. The other four years of aging happened at Bardstown. Um, so they have some uh, heritage of Castle and Key, but the most of their resting life was was at Bardstown. Um, and then we started production there. So I took my exact process tweaked it so that it would work well on the Bardstown uh, equipment and the same corn supplier, the same wheat uh, supplier. And, and um, we started making it there. And when the first time that Bardstown bourbon made this recipe, it was the first time they had ever received white corn. It was the first time they had ever received white wheat. 
Wow. So what what year is this when you started distilling at Barson Bourbon Company then? That would have been 2020. Okay. Mm-hmm. Just don't ask Steve to make any rye. Yeah, I hear you. <laughs> you heard that story? We'll tell you about it later. later. It's hilarious. <laughs> so so yep. with, well, hold on there. So I'm trying right. to make the, the timeline add up. So if... So this first release was all Castle and Key distillate that went into Primarily it. Primarily Castle and Key. There okay. was a little bit. So I'm, I actually am, am really excited by what's being made at, at Bardstown Bourbon. Oh, so are we. It's yeah, super, it's very sweet. Uh, it's, it's got a great mouthfeel. The one thing about white corn that's much different than yellow corn is it's just not as corny. So it takes, I think, maybe a little less uh, time in the barrel to overcome some of that youth. So I, I did actually blend in a little bit of that three-year-old in with a five-year-old. Okay, there we go. It's quite tasty. I think I think the price point might be a little high, and I know I know the price point keeps going up and up and up for everybody. But how how did you all? Because it's what one forty-nine one. What is it? More than that. So okay, it's it's tough. Kentucky has some extra taxes that you meant that, that, that we had to increase it. it. Yeah. Yeah, we, we're very well aware of it. Yeah. So we just figured we're just going to make less money in Kentucky. So that's I hear you. Yeah. My, two of my business partners were whole, were like owned distributors. Yeah. So they work out all of those percentage and details and whatnot. So and and then it was really some early conversations. We were we were thinking actually something quite a bit lower than where we are. Every time recently, like as the product has gotten above four years old. We've we've <laughs> mentioned it with the mayor of Columbia. We're like, well, what do we think this should be? And he'll say, well, I spoke to Dixon Dedman, and he said that we should have it at $100. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that seems Dixon like the Dixon Dedman. doesn't even make his stuff, and we make it. So we're going to put it even higher than that. <laughs> so thank you, Dixon. There we go. Yeah, uh, it's pretty good. Um, I'm assuming there's two different, you know, you have your Castle and Key Mashville, then the Bardstown different mash bills do you find nope, same mash bill oh it's the same exact one oh, same okay. mash bill same process same yeast strain same grain sources everything gotcha okay i didn't connect the dots it was kind of like how fred says he zones yeah, out one uh, mash bill two different facilities two different ages but then okay. at some point you will phase out all the castle and key distillate right yeah, I guess eventually we'll drink I mean, it all. Yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I guess I guess from a blending perspective, do you prefer just working with the same mash bill and you know resting in different locations, or do you like playing with different ones and seeing how they interact and like creating layers of flavor that way? Yeah, it depends on the goal. Yeah. If um, if you guys, I I, I don't think we've talked about the Eve's blind thing that I did. No, we, we talked haven't. About it? No, yeah. yeah. So that are you guys aware of it? Yeah, know? oh yeah. Definitely. Okay, so basically I partnered with eight different distilleries across the United States and went into their stocks of whiskey and found unique recipes or the same recipe. There were some of them that was one recipe and one year and sometimes just one lot that I used to blend. Um, but there were some of these, um, like the one if it's Stumpies, I used nine different recipes that they created to make this one blend. So I I, I love a challenge. I'll say that. Sounds like that sounds fair. It's a one more question that I'll I'll put you in the hot seat for here. So the the other thing is that so we also distill at Bardstown Bourbon Company. So we're very much we're very well aware of how, how it all goes. And so the press release really says like, oh, she distilled everything there. And I and I look at it and I go, well, we know all the distillers there. So kind of talk to me through your process. Like, what did you do to influence the distilling and the low low temperature fermentation and stuff like that that is necessarily takes the whole team of people there to do yeah i have a question for you sure 
How do you think what Fred No does influences the day-to-day distilling at Jim Beam? Oh, I would imagine that he is just the captain of the ship and they've got everybody there just kind of taking orders and yeah, doing do. as in. Actually, for the most part, I don't even think he does much anymore. He's probably just doing a lot of traveling, but there's a lot, of capable, there's a lot of capable people there that take care of it for him now. Yes. So the, my role as a master distiller is I'm responsible for the quality of it at the end of the day. And I had come up in the industry very much involved in the process from every aspect, building my own distillery. When I took the role as master distiller at Castle and Key, I wasn't just taking the torch from some old guy and not screwing it up. I was designing the processes, determining the recipes. Like I was in there day in, day out with the pipe fitters, with the electricians. I actually like have a little bit of regret on how that Sorry, on how that all went, um, because somebody that precedes me a million years down the road from now is going to be trying to redo some process piping, and they're going to look at. So one of the original partners, who is actually now the only remaining partner at Castle and Key, was insistent that we put as few holes into that historic stone as possible. So my poor pipe fitters, I was like, connect this tank to that thing on the other side of the wall, and you have to use this hole. So they would go 30, 40, 50 feet out of the way and up a wall and down the wall on the other side to, to connect things. Whereas, you know, about eight, nine months into the process, I was just like, I don't care. Get the core drillers in here. We're, we're put, you know, putting things straight. So some of it makes sense. Some of it doesn't make sense at all. And I think people are going to definitely attribute that to me. So I... I created this recipe from scratch from my mind at and I did all of the R&D myself like I said at Castle and Key there was no team I did have an exceptional distilling team that I trained by hand that a lot of them started in the automotive industry and as carpenters like literally redoing window frames for us at Castle and Key so you know when it came time to transition I went to a lot of production facilities I went to Wilderness Trail went to, you know, other places and said, this is what I want to do. Yeah. Good thing you didn't go there. (laughs) (laughs) Well, they make great part just because they sold. They make excellent product. Yes. And they make it one way. So you're allowed to tell them the grains that they make it with, but you cannot change another way because the way they do it is superior. So I could have said, I want white corn, white wheat, and this amount of barley, and they would have done that. And, you know, luckily enough, we're already using one of their yeast strains. So, but I didn't want to just use their process because I have a very particular idea of, because of an engineer, every time, every temperature, every pH level has a significant impact on how the flavors come out. So when we got to Bardstown, I was like, well, are you going to let me change things? I said, yeah, whatever you want, boss. <laughs> so the first productions, I was in there with them. Like I said, I was manipulating the process that I developed at Castle and Key to make sure that it worked the best to produce the best outcome on that uh, system. And even though it took a little bit longer, it actually yields just as well. Like I, I sometimes say as an engineer, you'll trade yield for efficiency. It yields really well. Like, And, and I think that's sometimes why people are afraid to use more of the small grains. Like they use very little barley or very little rye or wheat because corn is the workhorse. So you get more bang for your buck. Um, The more starch, the more alcohol you produce, the more efficient things are. So when people are designing their processes, they're thinking about economics, but I'm thinking about it differently. So I designed a recipe that really is not super economical, (laughs) maybe hence a little bit of that bottle price. 
even the way that it's produced. So it's a longer, a, a little bit longer fermentation. The lag period in the beginning of the fermentation is longer because at those lower temperatures, the yeast produce different flavors. And this is science that goes back to the early 1900s that was done by the Seagram's facility. So I was gifted a book by a master distiller named Dave Shurek. Is it the blue book? It is a brown book. This is the epitome of uh, whiskey distillation. I know that book. I like this is an opportunity for, for really like I, I, I mentioned this at the top, but Marianne answers questions about whiskey better, different and better than anyone I know about certain things. And one of the things that has been a it, it's always bugged me about how barley is discussed is like, you know, you talk to distillers 15 years ago, like it's not a flavored grain. I remember talking to you a long time ago about how you love barley and how it imparts a lot of flavor. Can you just kind of share with folks like what you think about barley? Because there's still a very large contingent of distillers that do not think barley imparts flavor. And do you think this American single malt's going to be here to stay <laughs> or is it just the next trend? <laughs> Well, I don't know. I'm going to be developing one soon, so hopefully it's um, still uh, on on tr- on the trend upward. Um, yeah. So my first experiences with experimentation with barley, um, which may surprise you guys, was actually working on a project for Jack Daniels. Are you Ooh, all? Were you involved with triple malt? Yeah. Holy crap! And the original malt, which I don't know if they bottled that yet. I mean, I've, I've they, left. They turned it into a double they wood or something okay, like that. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And an interesting thing. So the guy that was the head of innovation at that time had come from a big beer company and I'm blanking at the moment, but he was really ruffling a lot of feathers because of the way that he was pushing people to look at things differently. And I actually really liked him. I fit in very well to the corporate culture there at Brown Foreman, but I also liked this guy a whole lot because I was like, he's going to let me do an experimentation on one of these freaking 40,000 gallon fermenters and not just one, but like a week's worth of them. I was so stoked about it. So we got brewer's grain, brewer's malt and distiller's malt. And that was the first side by side test that we did. Brewer's malt and distiller's malt, just these two very simple differences, but the same variety, two row, six row, had a dramatic flavor difference. Dramatic. So I think that one big reason why most distillers that are making bourbon don't give the malt the credit that it deserves with respect to flavors because they use it in such a small percentage. And it is an expensive grain relatively because of the malting process. Um, It has enzymes to contribute. And uh, so people try to optimize it, which means take it down as low as possible, the percentage. Doing those trials at, at Jack Daniels, that, that completely changed um, my perspective on the difference in the flavor that the malt imparts and how, you know, I, I wanted to go over to Woodford Reserve and be like, hey, and try out, you know, Brewer's malt over there. But, you know, they're like, we do it this way and this is what the consumer knows. So, I, you know, I don't, I don't know if you guys know this about my background, but when I worked in research and development, my office was essentially the broom closet across from the micro distillery, which is, a, you know, their pilot plant. And every month I was intended to go out there and make something different, create a new recipe, actually use the equipment. 
so we brewed beers. We made cachaça. We made um, baiju. And I made some really interesting whiskeys. Um, but I was always trying new things. I made a chestnut whiskey one time that, of course, will never, ever see the light of day. <laughs> but it was really successful. It was really delicious. Um, they just, you know, they, they don't have a brand that they could release such a thing. I don't under. know. That sounds the like king something of, that would come in the King of Chestnuts, the uh, Woodford Masters collection. Yeah, nowadays, yeah. right? And now they have that distiller series, the three seven fives of the distiller yeah. series, which is cool. All right, Elizabeth, if you're listening to this, give me a call. I'll uh, share my notes. There you go. On the proper enzymes to use for chestnuts. Perfect. Well, Marion, I want to say thank you again for coming on the show today. It was awesome to be able to have you back on and be able to talk about things. And by the way, to give you a nod. Yeah, whiskey's pretty good too. It's really. Can good. I say one thing, and I you guys mine. can chop it out if you don't like it? No, go ahead. Okay. So uh, you know, it's it is hard to hear criticism sometimes, but I really appreciate the opportunity to come on here and have a conversation. I, I thought I saw it as an opportunity as well, because there there are aspects of it. The low temperature fermentation is something that people have been talking about a lot. And Ryan, I heard you say, if it's a cooler day outside, doesn't that mean it's a low temperature fermentation? Yep. And I love it. and actually, I think that's misleading to the the public because the temperature is set in the cooker. It really has nothing to do with the environment and everything to do with the, the yeast kinetics. So I want to urge everyone to be careful of, of how they are having this conversation because, you know, we are the ones who the new next generation of distillers are listening to and the way that they'll approach the industry and the way they talk to one another and the way that they, you know, make the next strides forward. Yeah, But totally. thank you guys for letting me have the, the chance to come Anything on. Else I really like you chest. guys. Please get everything Let's out. This is a, this is a grieving more. moment. Go, just go ahead. Just whatever you want to say. <laughs> you, don't have to, you, you don't have to stop there. You, yeah. you can, <laughs> I, can, I can handle it. I, no, I, like I said, I, I respect the hell. I always have respected, you know, what you're doing. And you're, you're one of the, like you said, the, the future of whiskey is here. And you're a part of that. And it's because of you. And we have so much to learn from you. And I, sometimes I think the the conversation gets cloudy because of other things and it doesn't need to be. And you're just so talented and so smart. Like that's, that should be the focus, I guess. And that's what, I, I think that's where, where I'm at. And I, and I wasn't being critical. I was just kind of like, you know, we get these press releases all the time and you, you read it, you know, and it's like, you're like, Oh, the marketing department came up with this romantic story, you know, about this and that. And so it's like, sometimes you just kind of roll your eyes and whereas you, you got to focus on the people behind it and, and, you know, all the things that have led to what's in the bottle. It's not just a, a PR release. So I apologize for jumping the gun on that and, and being critical. And thank you for coming on. That was, that was very cool of you. Yeah, I, I can, like I said, I can take having a conversation. And, and you guys have, like, been ensuring me that you were being hypercritical and that you were going to rip me apart. But I feel like this I think is, we were pretty easy, right? Yeah. Other than the room being that, hot, you were well, in the yeah, hot seat. I, know, it's, I am uh, actually sweating, but uh, it's uh, the uh, temperature uh, in the room. <laughs> I'm like covered in sweat. We got to figure I'm, this I'm out. Waiting to turn I'm in a hoodie and I'm barely sweating. <laughs> yeah. so I, so Fred keeps asking about stills. I'm like, come on, man, finish it up. Like, I'm going to turn the AC back. I, look, <laughs> I, 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 you know, the questions I'm asking, uh, you know, I'm, I'm doing it in, in, in part because I want people to understand Marianne. And, you know, I've always understood her. I've always, I've always been a champion of her. And, you know, there when when you have marketing, when you become a public figure, there's a disconnect, and and people don't get to know you. And I and I would say, like, may have said this to you before, but I would say my my greatest my greatest like uh, critique of you would would let, 
let people see what I see. Or maybe they just don't want to see it. I don't know. Maybe you put it out there and they don't, they don't want to see it. But I, I think your brain is, it, it's a beautiful brain of whiskey. And I really do think that. You have a beautiful brain of hey, whiskey. Thanks, Man, that okay. sounded weird, but you could put that on <laughs> your business card. That's now. the next uh, Valentine's sure. Day card. Yeah. <laughs> but frankly, like you know, I, I'm a historian. We lost Dave Pickerel way too early. We're losing distillers. We're losing people with knowledge, and 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 there are people at major distilleries who have the title of master distiller, and they don't do jack shit. And if you ask them to set up a still in the middle of the woods, they couldn't do it. They couldn't do it. You know, Marianne can. And I and I think that's why I, I get defensive um, about the master distiller thing. The the, rele- the press release and all that, man, I'm just going to chalk that up as like maybe needed another proofread or something, you know, and people not understanding. But like I get really defensive when people come at you or say something publicly about the master distiller thing because they don't get it and they don't get you. And over the years, it's it's just it's. I've kind of ignored it. It's gotten tiring because you sure in the hell ain't letting it get let, letting you get in. It's not getting in the way of what you do, and I get that. So I'm out of whiskey. All right, cheers, you. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. It's and and I think the product will stop that conversation. That the, you know, once they try this, they'll know that you're deserving and that it the the, the product speaks for itself. And so. Yeah. Only it wasn't for Dixon. Dixon could have said this could be a sixty dollar product. You <laughs> yeah, know? right. Freaking Dixon. Freaking Dixon. This is beautiful packaging. <laughs> packaging looks great too. It is. Yeah. You're it very is. talented. So if anybody wants to follow you, Marianne, how would they do it? Well, I, like we talked about earlier, Instagram is my primary mode. Um, but now I have my Instagram and my Facebook connected, so you'll see the same content really wherever you are. Isn't that great? Yeah. Less Mary- work. I know. Less Woo! work. Woo! More engagement. Woo! Uh, Marianne BMD is my primary Instagram page. But now you can also follow Forbidden Bourbon and Eve's Blind if you choose, if you dare. Uh, <laughs> we should take the challenge. If you want to get in the weeds with me, like literally, I was giving these people GC analysis, soil analysis, water analysis, and I think people are overwhelmed. But also, like my people, they want more of it. Love it. Yeah, we can Is take there... a. We should show them how sweaty we are and take a selfie. Well, <laughs> our sweat. We, we do have this on YouTube. All of my sweat is underneath my clothes. The, so you're not like, seeing my sweat. This is Sorry, the, folks. Yeah, the the real life, <laughs> not the Instagram <laughs> version. So, well, thank you again, Marianne, for coming on the show. I definitely appreciate you coming here and, and answering the questions because I know you didn't have to. You've got a big audience out there, and so definitely appreciate you doing that and sharing your whiskey with us because as we said earlier it was one of those things we tried it and we're like shit this is actually pretty damn good so yep it is, it is good mm-hmm. yeah that's it right shit it is good yeah damn no I, no I have to believe that she knows what she knows <laughs> every once in a while <laughs> that's right <laughs> it well, happens to work out but make sure you follow Marianne make sure you follow Bourbon Pursuit leave a review if you like the show share it with a friend and also follow our good buddy Fred Medic over here but with that cheers everybody we'll see you next time sucks cheers toodles toodles